At the time it aired, it became almost immediately iconic. The clip you are about to hear was part earworm, part joke, and also part commentary on the plight of families on the lowest rung of the middle class. Don't worry, you'll recognize it. It's basically the same deal, except we get a free keg of beer for our meat. Yay! In exchange for that, we have to give up our dental plan. So long, dental plan! Dental plan! Lisa needs braces. Desperate to afford dental care for his child, a factory worker has to choose between benefits and beer with the boys. Obviously, this is an exaggeration, but it's also an insight into where the average North American family struggling to get by might exist. Dental plan! Lisa needs braces. Now, I want you to think about this clip, about Homer Simpson's economic status in today's terms. Dental plan! Lisa needs braces. Homer has a steady job, one that pays him enough that his wife doesn't have to work, He belongs to a union. It's difficult to fire him. The fact that a dental plan is up for negotiation assumes that his family's health care is already covered, and when the episode ends, he goes home to a house that he owns, a four-bedroom house that he owns. How would you describe someone in that economic position today? Not bad, right? Dental plan! Lisa needs braces. The Simpsons has been airing for three decades. During that time, the circumstances of the family at the heart of the show has barely changed at all. But oh, how the world has changed around them. The Simpsons, three kids, messy house, soul-crushing job, occasional financial emergency and all, the Simpsons can now be considered aspirational to generations entering the workforce right now. Right now, if you're Homer Simpson, you're lucky. How the hell did that happen? Dental plan! Lisa needs braces. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Danny Alexis Ricecamp is a freelancer who looked into and broke down some of the numbers behind the Simpson family's financial status in the Atlantic. Hello, Danny. Thanks for having me. Why don't you start by taking us back uh, like 30 years now and giving us a picture of the Simpson family's economic status? Like, where were they on the spectrum when the show debuted? I'd describe them when the show aired as hanging on to middle class, but tenuously and slipping a little more every year. There's an early episode where Homer describes the family as upper lower middle class, which always seemed fairly accurate. We had a family with one breadwinner, Homer, who had a union job at a power plant. We're kind of given to understand he barely made it through high school and certainly didn't have much education beyond that that wasn't on the job training. Marge, the wife, stays home mostly. Um, She's got various hobbies, but other than a couple zany episodes here and there at the beginning, we don't really see her making money. She's mostly running the household and keeping track of the kids who, you know, as we know from having seen the show, are just forces unto themselves, even the baby Maggie. So 
how did you go about piecing together exactly where they were? You did a little sleuthing and kind of tried to figure out uh, their income level and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I had a lot of help from a 1996 episode in which we actually get a look at Homer's paycheck and being able to see where his money's going in terms of taxes and what his gross pay is for 40 hours lets us extrapolate, you know, if we multiply that times, say, 50 weeks of work a year, assuming he takes a two-week vacation, then we can get some idea of how much money Homer's bringing into the house over the course of a year. And since he's the one with the full-time job, we can assume that that's the bulk of the Simpsons funds. That's where their, you know, mortgage and food and everything else comes from. And how much does he make? In the 1996 episode, it works out to about $25,000 a year, if I remember right, which in today's terms is about $42,000 in U.S. currency. How would that compare uh, to the America that they were living in in 1996? In 1996, that $24,000 was about 60% of the U.S. median income. So they're sitting somewhere below the point at which half of Americans make more and half make less. So he's making less than the majority of Americans. You also, in your piece, um, kind of gave us a look at your family's economic status at that time. And, and I'd like you to just kind of run us through that just because, you know, it's only like 1996, but it seems very far away now uh, from where we are. It does. Um, in 1996... My parents had been divorced for about 11 years. They got divorced in 1985. And around 1990 or 1991, um, each of them bought a house. And by 1996, they were both, I believe, each halfway through paying their mortgage or slightly more than halfway through paying that mortgage. Neither of my parents has a four-year college degree. Um, my dad has an associate's degree. My mom I believe took a couple of college classes after high school, but never did complete a degree. And I remember my father saying around 1999 that he had never made more than $30,000 in any one year in his career. The big difference for me growing up with each of my parents, because they had shared custody, was that I didn't have multiple siblings. Um, neither one of them was supporting a family of five. My mother had me and my stepfather to support, and my dad had just me for a while. And then about 1994, my stepmother moved in. So the families were smaller. And I think even though the amounts they were making were roughly equal to what Homer was making, they were right in that sort of $25,000 to $30,000 range. My parents were able to do slightly better economically, in part because they did not have so many mouths to feed. Well, and if you if you look at it in today's terms, you know, as you mentioned, uh, that'd be somewhere around $40,000 for Homer. How difficult is the Simpsons level of financial security to be to be doing that on one income, owning a home, having a union job, supporting three kids? How difficult is that to achieve for for a family like the Simpsons in today's economy? I would say extremely difficult to nearly impossible without outside help. And I think about the fact that I made about $42,000 last year, and it's just me and my husband. We don't have children. And I'm trying to imagine keeping our household running on just my pay. I think I could do it barely. And with the significant caveat that my parents sold us this house on a 0% interest land contract. 
So I'm currently paying, yeah, I'm currently paying less for housing than I have paid in rent since, at any time since 2008. (laughs) Well, it is just startling to think um, that a show that, you know, we've both and, and millions and millions of other people have grown up with has moved from from representing the lower class to something that, to your point, is almost impossible right now. Certainly. it. The Simpsons debuted when I was about seven years old. And so, like a lot of people, I grew up with this family. I identified with this family. And I saw them struggle with a lot of the same financial barriers that I had. I had, even at that age, the sort of anxiety for Lisa because I desperately wanted to go to college and I knew my parents couldn't afford it. And I knew Lisa's parents couldn't afford it. And I felt that very deeply. And to look at that being my reality as a kid in the 90s, and then to look back on it today and realize that that's not an attainable reality for the vast majority of people It may not be attainable at all without some kind of outside help, someone buying your house for you or something like that. It's crushing, really. I see a lot of my dreams for like my own life, my own future, kind of crushed under the weight of that. Can you give us a sense of how the show itself has kind of played with class over the years with where the Simpsons fit and don't fit and getting a taste of uh, the classes above them? Because I think it's it's kind of reflected uh, the way a lot of us look at, at where we should be on the class spectrum. Yeah. One of the really neat things about The Simpsons as a format is that they can run with some really wild ideas. And as long as the family ends up more or less where they began, it's fine. You can do these sort of fantasy of the week type episodes. And even at the very beginning of the series, they started to play with these ideas. I remember there was one very early episode, I believe season two, where Homer discovers a product that will regrow his hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have hair. I have hair. And so he wakes up one morning with this gorgeous, lush, full head of hair, and he goes into work, and Mr. Burns, who owns the nuclear power plant, I think sees him on a security camera or sees him walk by, and is like, Wait, who is that young go-getter? Well, it sort of looks like Homer Simpson, only more dynamic and resourceful. Simpson, eh? Hmm. An unspoiled lump of clay to mold in my own image. A new junior executive. Bring him to me. So we see him getting fitted for suits and like getting a key to the executive bathroom, which is like it's got a fountain and like a string orchestra or something going on in there. So sort of playing with this fantasy of, oh, this must be how executives live. This must be what it's like to have this sort of unimaginable amount of wealth, which is, of course, at that point in the U.S. economy, all trickling upwards and somehow not trickling back down again. There's also the one where Marge gets the the, the new the dress. That, yes. Yes. There's the episode where Marge finds the Chanel suit at the outlet store. Oh, it's beautiful. Can it be a real Chanel? Oh, it is. Ninety dollars. But it's marked down from twenty eight hundred manages to get herself invited to join the country club 
and gets increasingly anxious that people are going to realize she's wearing the same suit over and over and that perhaps she only has one Chanel suit and she ends up altering it and altering it again and eventually destroying it in the sewing machine and being forced to buy a Chanel ball gown. And at the last minute, of course, the family decides not to join the country club because these are not their people. They don't want to be the kind of people who have to dress like this and impress others. And one of them says, I believe it's Marge who says, those phonies never would have made us members anyway. Well, of course, they were planning to make them members. And there's a big, you know, welcome Simpson family banner and all of that. Does the Simpsons romanticize or uh, or is it criticizing the idea of, you know, it, the trials and tribulations of trying to exist in the uh, upper, middle, lower class? I think it's a little bit of both. There are moments where the series, especially in the beginning years, really tackles the problems of being upper, mi- lower, middle class in a really meaningful way. In particular, there's an early episode Um, Last Exit to Springfield aired in 1993, where Lisa needs braces at precisely the same moment that Homer's union has cut a deal to eliminate the dental plan. And it results in the workers going on strike to get this dental plan back. There are some really good jokes that came out of that episode, um, not the least is which the repetitive dental plan, Lisa needs braces. (laughs) But it's also an episode that took on that sort of economic uncertainty and the importance of having that union and having that collective power in a very serious way. Has the show itself changed over um, 32 seasons? I know, obviously, there's probably a bunch of people listening to this who say, yeah, the the new seasons suck. But I'm talking about in the way it approaches who the Simpsons are and where they fit in to the American economy. Oh, certainly. Um, I mean, overall, The show has tended to get more zany over the years, and I suspect that's because there are certain storylines you can only do once. Like the first time we see Homer on a plane, you know, he's opening the little peanut packets and he's pushing the call buttons and running back and forth. And it's a really good gag, but you can only do that sort of gag once. And the next time he gets on a plane, it's going to need to be weirder. And so in a sense, The Simpsons has kind of gone through sort of a weirdness expansion in that way. But at the same time, the family itself really hasn't changed. One of the conceits of The Simpsons is that they don't age. They don't really change in any in that sort of way. If anything, I think the show has gotten away from looking critically at sort of the economic anxieties of families like The Simpsons. And it's kind of just asked us all to accept that oh, this is what the family's like. This is what they're always going to be like. We're not going to worry too much about where they are money-wise. We're just going to send them to Burning Man or whatever. Why do you think that is? I mean, do you think it's because it's no longer entertaining to watch a family struggle to make it to that middle class when so many uh, Americans and Canadians, for that matter, can't? Like, income inequality is not a topic for a, a comedy anymore. I certainly think that's part of it. There was also a pretty noticeable shift, at least in my mind, that The Simpsons made. I'm not going to remember which season it was. I want to say around nine or ten. But it's the episode where Homer becomes Mr. Burns's prank monkey, and suddenly he's in charge of doing mean things to his former co-workers on behalf of their boss. Hurl this at that. At Lenny, but he's a war hero. Well, let's decorate him then. No. Not even for four dollars. 
My eye! I'm not supposed to get pudding in it! <laughs> and that episode stood out to me because it was the first time the show stopped poking fun at the executive class and sort of let them drive the making fun of the upper, lower middles. And ever since then, I feel like the moments that the show has touched on these economic issues have gotten fewer and further between. And I do think the fact that not a lot of us want to watch those struggles has something to do with it. I also think the struggles The Simpsons go through at the beginning of the series are in some ways small potatoes compared to a lot of the economic struggles like today's 20-somethings and 30-somethings are facing. And what I mean is this family always had a house. They always had food on the table. When someone really needed a medical thing, like when Bart needed that laser tattoo removal, they were able to make it happen. Whereas today, increasing numbers of people don't even have that. They don't even have that level of security. And so it's harder to identify with a family that's, oh, these are their struggles when you're sitting there going, great, well, but I can't even make rent. I'm choosing between whether I'm going to eat three meals a day or take this medicine that's keeping me alive. Last question. If the Simpsons were a real family today, uh, with Homer having the same job he's always had, what else would they have to do to stay afloat? I, I imagine Marge at least would need to work. Uh, one of the kids needs a part-time job or something. Like, how far away are they in real terms from, from the line they need to achieve middle class? I, certainly, I think Marge would have some kind of job. It wouldn't surprise me to see Homer pick up gig work, you know, drive for Uber or something like that. I think the family would live a lot closer to the point at which one emergency would ruin them. So the car breaks down or one of the kids breaks a leg or something like that. And suddenly they're hanging onto that house barely, if at all. Suddenly they're making hard decisions about who's going to eat and who's going to take their medication and things like that. That doesn't sound like a recipe for a half hour comedy. Thank you, Danny, for walking <laughs> us through this today. You're welcome. That was Danny Alexis Ricecamp. And that was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. If you haven't filled out our listener survey, you better do it because you have one more day. We've heard from more than 500 of you. Get it to 600. Somebody's going to win a tote bag. Five of you even. You can also email us, thebigstorypodcast, all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. You can find us, you can subscribe or follow on any podcast platform you prefer, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Pocket Cast, doesn't matter. Ask Alexa, ask Google, you can play us anywhere. Stephanie Phillips, Claire Broussard, and Ryan Clark produce The Big Story. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, thanks for listening, and we'll talk on Monday. <laughs>